I, you know, I, I'm, I don't have a whole lot of fear of, of animals. You know, like, I just, I don't, there's, I, don't, I don't mind spiders or anything like that. But snakes are one of those things where I can't handle a snake. Like, I, I, even from like a young age, like, I, I don't, I've never liked a snake. I stay, if I see a snake, I'm out in the woods or wherever I'm at, out in the backyard, I just go away. You know what I mean? Like, I just think that's, I'm going to run is what I'm going to do. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to, I don't even know it's there. Just go pretend, like, if I saw a snake in my house, I would burn the house down. You know what I mean? Like, that's just, like, that's my solution. You know, like, it's, hey, there's other ones. You know, I got insurance for a reason that they asked me. I said, well, you know, pest control, you know, so that would be the reason. A few months ago, my neighbor was outside working in her yard, and she saw a snake, and she yelled at me. She goes, Jeff, she's an older lady, lives by herself. She goes, Jeff, there's a snake in my yard. Can you come over and d kill it? I said, what color is it? She goes, it's, it's, black, it's, it's brown and it's green. I said, oh, it's a good snake. And you don't want to kill that snake. It's a good one, you know. <laughs> I had no idea what kind of snake it was, you know, like I had no idea. I just know I did not want to deal with it, you know, like I'm just like, uh. But you could hear the, the fear in her voice, you know, I know that fear. And uh, so I summed up the little courage that I had and went into my, went into my garage and grabbed a garden hoe and said a quick prayer, went out and did the deed, you know. My son, after I cut it in half, grabbed it by its head, the one that was just here just a minute ago, grabbed it by its head, and the thing is doing this. It's cut in half, and its, its jaws are doing this. I'm like, hey, knucklehead, it's trying to bite you. Put it down, you know, like, he's a good son, and he didn't listen to anything I said, and so he started chasing my other son around the yard, you know, and so... <laughs> I was watching a video a while back, and there was a guy, he was a snake handler, you know, and he had this big python. He was trying to put, I mean, this thing was huge, and he was trying to put it into this box, and as you might be surprised, the snake did not want to go into the box. And after many attempts, the snake bit him, you know, I mean, like it was trying to, but finally it struck him on the arm. You know, and this guy was wearing a, a jacket that was supposed to protect him from snakes. That should give you some sort of idea that you're in the wrong job. You know what I mean? Like you just, you should, if I got to put this jacket on to do my job, something's wrong, you know? And so, but it struck him in the arm and this is a huge snake. I mean, and he pulls down his sleeve and there's blood all over his arm. And he's shocked by it. He's like, oh, I can't believe that bit through this jacket. I'm like, what are you, have you seen that snake? I mean, like, leave it alone. You know, like, I don't understand it. I'm not, I don't work with snakes. I'm not surprised that his arm was bleeding. You know, like, I just don't. Why do it? I want you to know that some of you here today think that it's okay to have a snake as a pet. And I'm here to tell you, you're wrong, Okay. <laughs> You're a weirdo. Like, there's something wrong with you. They're not cute. They're not cute. Like, they're, they are not, it's, it's not a lab, you know. I mean, if today's passage of Scripture teaches you anything, I think you'll find this to be true. We see from the very beginning, friends, snakes are not something you should be messing with. Satan used a snake 
to cause man to fall. He didn't pick a Labrador, a Labrador you know what I mean? He didn't pick a golden retriever, you know. I, I mean, he chose a snake for a reason. In today's passage of Scripture, we see how sin entered the world. We see the very first instance of disobedience. Verse 1, chapter 3. The serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to woman, that God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, you may, I'm sorry, and when the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. We start off in chapter 3 with a, a new character in the creation narrative, which of course is the serpent. The word serpent means snake, and we, what we do know right off the bat about this creature is that he was more crafty than any of the other creatures of the field. Think about this for a second. A snake is speaking to Eve, an animal. You ever heard of an animal talk before? Of course you have. Parrot, parakeet, you know, they, they talk, right? I have a friend of mine, he's got birds in his house. Better than a snake, but not much, okay? But <laughs> we're Cindy at, I say, you know, over here. <laughs> but I, I, I've been to some friends of mine's houses that have birds in their house. You know, they, they can talk, but you can't carry a conversation with them, right? I mean, they don't have the vernacular ability to get you, to persuade you to do something that you don't want to do. I mean, they can say a few things, but I've not yet to see one that's really all that talented with literature and things about I mean they just don't they just can't they don't have that ability yeah but I, I, I've not seen you know a whole lot of other animals talk but we see throughout scripture that Balaam had a donkey that talked in numbers Balaam had a conversation with his donkey and the angel of the Lord allowed for the donkey to speak to Balaam right God used this donkey to speak to Balaam Martin Luther believes that Satan entered the snake and spoke to Eve through that snake. No well-rationed Old Testament scholar believes that the animals had the ability to speak and communicate to man with words during this time. So this was a, an anomaly, not the norm here, friends, that this snake was able to speak to Eve. Satan used this snake. 
to get woman and man to fall. He asked the woman, did God really say that you can't eat of any of the trees in the garden? Eve responded, we can eat of the tr any tree but the tree of good and evil or you will die. One day, I'm getting ahead of myself here. God doesn't even want them to touch it. Not only can they not even eat of it, friends, but they're not even supposed to touch the tree of good and evil. Satan here uh, is, is tempting them, is lying to them. But God has told them, do not touch it. He has told them, do not eat of it. Do not even look. I mean, it's almost like, has, you, has your mother or your father ever told you, I don't want you to touch this. Don't, don't, do, don't even look at it. You know, don't even be tempted by it. Just stay away from it. When I was a young boy, I had the tendency to get into mud puddles, okay? And I, I was just one of those things where, as a young boy, that, I, I don't know why, I, I, but that's what I did. When I was about three years old, my mother, I think we were going to church. Uh, again, I was three, so I don't remember it all that well. But I, my mother had dressed me up, and she said, I'm gonna, me and your dad are going to go for a walk, and I do not want you to get your clothes dirty, okay? We're going to leave after we get back from the walk. Do not get your clothes dirty. Again, I'm black and white. Like, if you tell me to do something, I'm going to take it literal, right? And I've been that way since I was a little boy. And so what I did, any well-rationed boy would do, is I took all of my clothes off, set them aside, and I jumped in the mud puddle. You know, that's, that's what I did. Again, I didn't get my clothes dirty. I did what my mom told me to do. At the same time, I did what I wanted to do. God told them not to eat of the tree of death. God is honest, though, friends, and he's just. He's righteous. God tells them what to do. And the serpent here lies to them two times. And he also tells them two truths. God, God is honest. Okay? God's not going to lie to you. And when God says something, he means it, friends. Nowhere in Scripture do we see God telling a half-truth or telling some sort of commandment that maybe we should listen to sometime or, or not listen to at other times. God is righteous and just. And the things that God says, he means. And he tells us these things for a reason. And yet, here we see Satan. He lies to Eve two times, and yet he tells her two truths. So it's really like a half truth, half lie. But really, the lies are that they will be like God. That's impossible, friends. It's impossible for you to be like God. There is no one like him. As a matter of fact, Adam and Eve were as much like God in that moment as they would ever be. <laughs> the second lie is that they won't die. Friends, let me just tell you, death is the absolute result of disobedience. It is the absolute res uh, result of disobedience. The truth is that their eyes will be open and they will be able to know good and evil. In verse 6 and 7, we see man's first act of disobedience. Friends, the garden was a perfect place. I mean, there was, there was no sin, no disobedience, no need. 
And yet man found a way to mess it up. Parents, I want you to hear this. If you, could, if you just hear this, I just... You can raise your kid in the most perfect situation possible. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to grow up. And they're going to make their own choices. And you can do everything right. I mean, God put Adam and Eve in the most perfect situation possible. And they found a way to mess it up. Parents, you can raise your kid in the best situation possible. Send them to the best schools. Feed them the best food. You can do everything right. And God still has given them free will. A choice. And they will see something shiny that looks good. And they will know, I'm not supposed to do this. I've been taught, my parents have trained me up in the way that I should go. And yet, man, that looks good. Satan is going to deceive them. He's going to trick them. He's going to lie to them. He's going to make them believe that if they just do this, <laughs> they'll be better off. Adam and Eve knew they shouldn't do it, and they did it anyways. Immediately, friends, there were consequences to their actions. They knew that they were naked. They were ashamed. Sin is never as glamorous as Satan makes it out to be, friends. Sin is never as glamorous as Satan makes it out to be. All Satan does is lie and attempt to cause you to fall. He will do anything within his power, within his might, to get you to fall, to get you to sin. To get you to be disobedient to God's will for your life. If you don't believe me, look at the next few verses. Notice how they hide from God. And notice how they're afraid of God. Never have we seen this before until right now. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I have commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you have given me, have gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. <laughs> Just blame her. It's her fault, God. It's not mine. It's hers. The Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. It's not my fault. It's his. It's not my fault. It's hers. Unwilling to take responsibility for their actions. You know, if God is all-knowing, why is he asking the questions, right? I mean, if God is, knows all things, sees all things, is, is always present, why is, he, why is he asking the questions? One commenter that I read this week said that God isn't seeking information, but rather he's allowing man to understand fully what they have done. Up to this point, God and man had a relationship where there was no fear. There was no shame. There was no hiding. 
but sin had caused a new reality to be formed in their relationship. Have you ever been in a relationship with someone, whether that's romantic or platonic, and someone in that relationship has done something that they shouldn't have done? They've said something, they've done something, and it has put something in the middle of that relationship that has damaged it, that's caused it to be something that it has never been before, and not in a good way. So I ask, I ask this question, as a result of the fall of man's relationship, God's, and God and man's relationship has never been the same. We can blame Adam and Eve here if we want to. I mean, we can look at them and say, well, why did they, I mean, they messed it up for everybody. But the reality is, is that if it wasn't them, it would have been me. And if it wasn't me, it would be you. I mean, we're all... Are we not all the same? <laughs> Do we not see something that's shiny and looks good? Are we not prone to disobedience? The Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field and on the belly you shall go. The dust you shall eat in the days of your life, all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between you and your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. And pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire, desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to this voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you and the pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall not, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Each of those associated with the fall paid a price, friends. At verse 14, we see that the serpent was cursed above all the livestock. They were forced to crawl on their bellies for the rest of their being, for the rest of time. Some of the Hebrews believed that the snakes had feet, the serpents had feet prior to the fall, and that God took off their feet. That anything that crawled on their, on a, on their belly was spiritually unclean. That's what the, the Hebrews, the, the people of Israel, believed. God also curses Satan who used the serpent. In verse 15, we see that Satan will be crushed by the seed of the woman. The verb here, crush, is the same for both the Satan and the seed, but it's clear that Satan gets the worst of this. And friends, everybody that I read this week, and as I studied this myself, this is a foreshadowing. The seed here is singular, and it's a foreshadowing of the Messiah. The seed here isn't humanity, but it's Jesus Christ. And that Jesus Christ would 
crush the head of the serpent and that Jesus would be crucified and that even though it looks like his death is a victory for Satan when in reality Jesus Christ defeats sin and death at the cross. He crushes the head of Satan. Eve would be, have increased pain and childbearing and would have her husband rule over her. This isn't a license for husbands to be a dictator, even though that's been the case throughout history and throughout time. We've seen men abuse this relationship. That's not what God is saying here, but it's rather a sign for us to see that there are consequences to her disobedience. And Adam should have listened to God, but instead he listened to his wife. And as a result, he will work the ground for food, and he will surely die. From the ground he came and to the ground he will go. Verse 20, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and Eve and his wife Eve garments of skin and clothed them. And then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest us reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man in the, at the east of the Garden of Eden and he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword and turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. In our Western culture, we don't like this idea that a man would rule over a woman. You know, we don't, we don't like that terminology. We don't like that language. It's offensive. But if you look back at the last couple of weeks, man had authority over the animals and was giving them the responsibility of doing what to them? Of naming them. And here we see God giving Adam the responsibility of naming Eve. The first woman. The man had authority over her. You think about this sin. What was Eve trying to do? I mean, she wanted independence. She wanted to be free. She wanted to be like God. As a result... She's no longer under the authority of God, but under the authority of man. No longer free. Again, man has abused this from the beginning of time. God knew that not only were the consequences to sin, but that it would set off a chain reaction of bad decisions. The thing about sin, friends, is that once you do it once, there's a, a likelihood that you're going to continue to do that again. They say there are certain drugs that if you just do it one time, you're addicted immediately. You're immediately addicted. Friends, sin is that. Once you do it once... The reality is, though, the friends, that we are born sinners. Born with a tendency to sin. We have a sinful nature. 
We have inherited this from Adam and Eve. We have inherited their nature of sin. We have no choice but to sin. That's who we are. We are sinners. The only chance we have at not being sinners is through the seed of Eve. Jesus Christ. Second King tells us that, that all of the hearts of men is sin. Isaiah 29, this people, they draw near with, to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately corrupt. Who can understand it? From the very beginning of time, friends, we see this is true. And God knows this, and that's why he banished man from the garden. And he would not allow them the opportunity. Recently, we had a six-year-old girl uh, killed in our community. Uh, her father killed her. I don't know how it's possible. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know the evil that takes. I, I don't want to know. That's what it is, friends. It's evil. I recently heard a story uh, last week was 9-11 and uh, a man was telling about his uh, experiences on that day. He was just a few blocks away from the Twin Towers and he said, he goes, I, he goes, I was trained as an EMT but I just, uh, he goes, I, I was there doing something else. He goes, I, I heard the explosion happen. The first plane hit the first tower. He goes, I immediately just ran there, you know. He goes, I was just seeing bodies and debris and everything else. He was just, he was just awful. He goes, I went over there and I started helping out in the first building. And then I, I went over to the second building and was helping there. And he goes, I was taking some people to go get triage, some medical help. And he was when the first tower collapsed. He was a we. He was I. He was I managed to get into a, a building and. Um, he was, that's really what saved me. And. He was in the hours following that. He was every restaurant, every business opened up their doors. His restaurants were serving water and sandwiches and just. Because everybody was helping everybody. Because there wasn't a single person that was just, he was, the EMTs, the firefighters, the police, I mean, they were going up to these, into these buildings and they were knowing that they were going to die. I mean, they, he goes, I would ask people, he goes, you know these buildings are going to collapse, right? I mean, this is, and even still they went up <laughs> and they just sacrificed themselves for the good of other people. He said, he goes, you know, I've never seen New Yorkers in all of my life act so bravely, be so kind, be so generous. 
Because usually you think about New Yorkers and you think of they're the opposite. <laughs> he goes, but on this day, we saw the best of everybody. amazing to think about, you know. It's, it, we often see the best people during times of hardships and tragedies and not just things like 9-11 but when like a tornado hits or a flood or and people are just so a disaster strikes a family and people are just willing to do whatever to help them out. It's within you is what that tells me. I mean you know what the right thing to do is. You have it within your intellectual ability. You have it within your heart. You have it within your hands, your stomach. You have the ability to know what's right and wrong. And oftentimes, what we choose is what? The shiny object that we're not supposed to have. The reality is, friends, is that... There are consequences to choosing the shiny thing. The man that murders his daughter doesn't start out that way. It's progression. And evil is just that, friends. It progresses. And it's within us as well to be evil, to be unkind. To be unrighteous. It's within, which is, it's within my own self. And there's a reason why I seek accountability in my life. There's a reason why I seek prayer partners. There's a reason why I, I keep my door open when a lady's in the office. There's a reason why there's a window in my door and I won't allow it to not be there. There's a reason why my wife always has my phone and access to my phone. There's a reason why I protect myself. And I, 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 I come here and I, I don't just do my job, but I genuinely worship the Lord. I'm in just in need of Jesus as anybody in this room, friends. There's, there's evil here, and I know it better than anybody. Each of us have that ability to be evil. But the good news is each of us have the ability to be righteous and just and, and holy. And we, we make the choice, we make the decision each and every day to choose righteousness. The mercies of God, they renew every morning, friends. And you can choose every day to choose righteousness or evil. It's a choice. And we see it here in Scripture from the very beginning, friends. They had a decision to make and they chose to disobey God. It doesn't pay. It's not the right thing. They know it's not right. You have a choice to make a decision. Are you going to choose to live a, a, a life that brings honor and glory to God or not? It's your choice, it's your decision. I wish I could make it for you. I wish we could find a way to make that happen. But friends, the reality is, is that you're responsible for you and I'm responsible for me. I would love to be able to pray for you today. 
there's a way that I can do that. I will be in the back in the welcome center here in just a minute. If there's something I can pray for you about, a decision that you have to make if you're struggling with something, there's sin in your life that you need help with. If you see evil there and you're like, man, I, I know I'm doing something I'm not supposed to be doing. I'm being tempted by, God, by Satan to do something, to disobey God. Or maybe it's a, hey, God is calling me to do something and I'm just, I'm not sure if I have that within me. These altars are going to be open for you. If you want to come down and you want to pray and ask God for direction, for wisdom, for discernment, for the grace that, it, that you need to be the person that God wants you to be. But this is, this is real. He gets. Every opportunity, he is crafty, friends. But God is real. He loves you. And he has given you an opportunity right here, right now, in front of your brothers and sisters, people that would love you, that will encourage you, that will support you better than anybody on the face of this earth, friends, to get help, to ask for God's grace, to ask for forgiveness, to seek mercy. I pray that you won't let this opportunity slip you by. Father, we give you thanks for the day. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together in this place to recognize that our need for you, our need for one another, Father, forgive us where we come up short, where we, where we fail you, where we see the, the shiny object and, and get distracted, where we become disobedient. Father, help us to be men and women who love you and who are faithful only unto you. Father, help us to be the men and women that you want us to be. Forgive us when we're not. Give us the grace that we need right here, right now, to do the things that you want us to do, to be the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.